are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Open your Bibles with me now quickly to the, the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. I'll read a few verses. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at the sheep market, at Jerusalem by the sheep market, or sheep gate, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been now a long time, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, and took up his bed, and walked. And the same day was the Sabbath. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. But when he went up to Jerusalem, he didn't go up to the first church. Neither did he go up to the synagogue. When Jesus went up to Jerusalem, he went down by the sheep market. There is in Jerusalem a pool, a bathing place, called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these, he said, lay a great multitude of sick people, hawk, withered, blind, waiting for the moving of the water. Because they said an angel went down at a certain season every year and troubled the water. And the first one after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And there was one man that had been there for 38 years. With dreamy eyes fixed upon waters he could never reach. Hopelessness written all over his face. I doubt if you'll ever find in the scriptures or anywhere a more perfect picture of the condition of a lost world than you'll find right here. This motley multitude of sick and afflicted people. Some were withered, some were blind, some were whole. They were all sick, but they weren't all sick alike. But they were all alike sick. They were all alike sick. And according to the word of God, all of the unsaved are dead in sins and trespasses against God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him. I'm glad he didn't explain who he meant by him. Jesus, the iniquity of us all. I said, now, all have sinned, but they haven't all sinned alike. But they have all alike sinned. Suppose that the lame man would have said to the blind man, you need a physician. And the blind man would have said to the lame man, you need a physician. 
But when you come back to it, they all, each and all of them, needed a physician. Now that's where the cross of Christ becomes an offense. Tell that cultured, respected, professional businessman that he has to be born again like the common drunk on Skid Row, and that's where it becomes an offense. Tell that woman that sparkles and scintillates with diamonds and rustles with silks and satins that she has to be born again or she'll go to hell like a common woman on the streets of forgotten women. And that's where the gospel, that's where the cross becomes an offense. I think sometimes we feel like that the gospel is for the up and out, but not for, or for the down and out rather than the up and out. And so we need to tell men and women everywhere that they have to be saved. And I don't think we'll ever have much of a revival anymore until we come back again, once again, to preach the total depravity of man. Totally depraved. They said to the, uh, the old mountain preachers, said, I believe not in total depravity, but I believe in teetotal depravity. And I think we finally need to find that they are teetotally depraved. But there was one man there also that had been for 38 years and was healed. You said, well, what does that mean? Well, there was a king in the Old Testament whose head was lifted up out of prison by another king after 37 years of captivity. And to me, that means that he's able to save the vilest of the vile and the lowest of the low. Well, we feel like he can save a few children. We feel like he can save a few women. But dare we to believe that he can save the drunkard and the gambler and the harlot and the addict. We need to realize that he is able to save all who come unto him by faith. What this world needs, I believe, if the alcoholic, the harlot, the dope fiend, I believe what they need. If they have a head-on experience with Jesus Christ, I believe that'll solve the problem. Oh, I had an experience with a person not long ago, supposed to be an alcoholic. I don't know much on that alcoholic business. They call it a disease. I don't think it's a disease. They didn't call them alcoholics when I was a boy. They called them sots. Amen. They just called them plain drunks. And if you'll just give it, tell it what it is, it'll be better. So I was getting this fellow away to a place where they were going to treat him. And his sister said, I think what he needs is psychiatric treatment. Psychiatric, he, need, he needs a psychiatrist. I said, no, he doesn't need a psychiatrist, he needs a savior, that's what he needs. He needs a case of old-fashioned mourner's bench, that's what he needs. He needs to get on his knees before God and say, I'm a sinner, and ask God to take the thing away from him, that's what he needs. I don't go much on this psycho in business anyway. Well, I went to the psychiatrist and... The psychiatrist said, well, what's your trouble? He said, well, I have a feeling, Doc, that I'm a dog. He said, how long have you had that feeling? He said, ever since I was a puppy. <laughs> Old Gypsy Smith. They had one of these bump readers. 
phrenologist. He was feeling the old gypsy head. And gypsy said, what are you? He said, I'm trying to find the secret of your success. And the old gypsy said, you're feeling too high, mister. Feel down lower. That's what it is. No, you don't need that. You don't need... When you get saved, that'll fix you. I don't care who you are. You say, well, I was born with a thirst for bruises. Tell them they can be born again with it out of them. That's what I'm telling you. You can't hardly go in a hotel dining room now without they try to pour the stuff down you. I was in one the other day, and the little girl, I said, I don't blame you. But she said, would you like a drink? I said, yes, water. She said, a cocktail. I said, yes, fruit. She said, I mean something from the bar. I said, honey, 52 years ago I got saved, and that got the hog out of me, and I haven't had to slop him since. That's what I'm saying. You get the hog out of you, you won't have to slop him, amen? Fellow fell over in the hog pen, and some ladies passed by, and one of them said, you can tell a person by the company they keep, and the hog got up and left. A little boy going down the street and a bum, a drunk, had fallen in front of the saloon and vomit running out of his mouth and all over the walk and the little boy stuck his head in the door and said, Hey, mister, your sign fell down. <laughs> Let me tell you what you need. When you get saved, you won't have any trouble. That's what I'm telling you. This fella, listen. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, but he went down by the sheep market. How like Jesus that was. To always be found where he was needed. You remember when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and took with him Peter, James, and John? They seemed to have been on the advisory committee. He always took Peter, James, and John. And there he was transfigured. He gave them a preview of his resurrected glory. And when he gave them a preview of it, Peter, you could always depend on Peter. That's what I said last night. And Peter spoke up and said, this is a good place to be. Let's build us three tabernacles and remain here. When I was pastor of the Cato Tabernacle, I said, he never tried to finance one or he wouldn't have wanted three. Let me tell you that, my brother. <laughs> said, let's build three tabernacles and remain here. This is a good place to be. And Jesus said, no, why? Because down at the foot of the hill there is a man with a problem child. It's all right, he said, for you to have this mountaintop experience. But the time has come to leave the mountain. The time has come to leave the mountain and go back to the foot of the hill. The time does come to go back among the highway, along the highway and the hedges. That's what we've done. You've gotten in your fine churches and behind stained glass windows and mahogany pews and brilliant preachers and great choirs and well-trained singers. We folded our hands in self-complacency and said, this is a good place to be, let's remain here. And you have, you've remained there. Let me say this to you. You said, now here we are, come and find us, but they didn't find you. They didn't find you. Nowhere in the Bible did God ever command the, the unsaved man to go to church. But he commanded the church to go out after it. Somebody said, you'll never have a church-going people until you have a people's-going church. Soul winners. When I was pastor, I used to be pastor of a church. 
I took one over that had 101 in Sunday school the first Sunday. Had 101 in Sunday school, had 17 in Sunday night service. The first Sunday morning I went. The choir came, they came marching in Indian fashion. With their beautiful robes on, you know. Went through their musical gymnastics. I rose and said, let's sing Amazing Grace, I'm backslid, let's fix it so I can preach. That organist got so hot if he'd have spit on her, she'd have fried. She said, I've been here nine years. I said, you've been here long enough. I'll be here the next nine. She said, I'll resign. I said, it doesn't beat you to it. Your resignation went in yesterday. And I said, this is, let me tell you something. Just in order to keep the record straight, let me tell you this. From now on, I'm the hot cock and the main piston rod of this thing. And if we want to sing Amazing Grace, if you don't want to play it, I'll pick a Jew's harp. Do we understand each other? She said, you're going to be a dictator. I said, no, I'm going to keep you from being one. Amen. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You know what? I believe that God placed one person over the church. That's the pastor. Not the deacons, not the Women's Missionary Society. That was a joke. But anyhow, God placed one person over the church. I believe the pastor is, I believe the pastor is the leader of the flock. A fellow said to me not long ago, his preacher was talking about doing something. He said, well, now he left, take it up with the board. I said, the board? I said, boards are just mentioned once in the Bible, and that's where a fellow, that's where he said that some came in on boards. That's the only thing that's mentioned in the Bible. I'm afraid of the boards. Sometimes they've got a splinter in them. Let me tell you something, my brother. Then when we began to warm up a little bit, then the deacon said, now I'm a deacon. I said, you are. Glad to hear that. You know something? We had some boys went out and began to gather up little boys that had to get their hair cut and put little overalls on them. Didn't have any bus system. But we began to bring them in and they started with two, a little old crippled boy and, a little, and another little waif and they brought them in and started down in the furnace room of the church. And in little over a month they had 85 boys in a Sunday school class that had never been in a Sunday school. You know what the chairman of the missionary society said? I do believe he's going to make a Salvation Army right out of our church. I said, you bet your sweet life I am. You know what? They were having circle number one with circle number two and circle number two with circle number three. And they'd pray and shed copious crocodile tears and pray for China. And they'd never even been downtown to see if the Chinese laundryman was a Christian. And they'd shed tears about Africa, and they didn't know whether the cook in the kitchen was a Christian or not. And one of them said to me, I'm not cut out for personal work. I said, you cut out what you're doing, and you'll be cut out for it. That's what I'm telling you. Amen. Let me say this to you. He said, it's time to leave the mountain. It's time to get out of this, out into the highways and the hedges. 
out yonder in the streets and lanes, knocking on doors to lead people to Christ. I was preaching in Kingsport, Tennessee. I told this story. Preacher stood up and said, Dr. Lake, and I'm glad you made a Salvation Army out of the church. Orville and Emmett came over on Tannery Hill where we lived, and he said, we were the poorest of the poor. Even the poor people looked down on us. He took my brothers and myself over there, and we got saved, and I'm now pastor of the Riverside Baptist Church. He died the other day, and 28 preachers attended his funeral. Oh, I had it a little bit rough. I had to win the thing. I had to win the battle, but it was worth it. Amen? Jesus, listen. He said, it's time to leave the mountain. It's time to leave the mountain. Out into the highways and the hedges. That's the reason I like to see the bus ministry. That's the reason I like to see the buses going. You've heard Dr. Tom Malone tell about a very wonderful man in his church who was a deacon. Dr. Malone said that he stood up and gave his testimony one morning and he said, when we moved to this city, I was an engineer. Wife and I discussed where we'd go to church. We wanted to go where most of the engineers went because we needed to keep up our social batting average. So we selected this high steeple church and we went to this refrigerated proposition with this perpendicular icicle as pastor. <laughs> we sat there day after Sunday after Sunday and Sunday after Sunday and not a tear was shed and not a soul was saved. And Tom said, this man said, I said to my wife, if we keep going to that church, I'm not saved, I'll die and go to hell. You're not saved. You'll die and go to hell. Our children are not saved. They'll die and go to hell. None of them will get saved. Then he said, you know something? There's a church bus passes our house every Sunday morning. I don't know where it goes. But next Sunday morning, you get the kids ready. We're going to get them in the car and back up in the driveway. And when that bus goes by, we're going to fall in behind it, and we're, wherever that bus goes, we're going to go. Tom Malone said, I'll give you two guesses where it went. <laughs> Amen. And they came to the, the Emmanuel Baptist Church, and they got saved. Then he told me about another one like that got saved, and he brought a man down the aisle one morning, and he said, Pastor, this man, I want to tell you about him. He said, last night we heard a noise in my house. And I got up and went downstairs and turned on the light, and this man had broken in our house to rob us. I tied into him. He was about to get the rest of me. My wife came. She tied in. He was about to get both of us, and the kids got up, and they got into it. And finally, we overpowered him. Then I said to him, Mr., we're Christians here. Now, you broke into our house. I'll tell you what we're going to do. You can either get down on your knees and get saved, or we're going to call the law one or the other. And Tom said, Tom said, he said, I believe I'll get saved. And he said, here he is. Let me tell you something. Jesus, I'll get through now, don't get worried about it. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Jesus came up into the crowd. I've often wished I could reproduce the compassionate look and the tender tone of the Savior. That man with those dreamy eyes fixed upon that water, I think when he saw Jesus, I think he said, there's somebody cares for me. 
something about his looks, something about him that made him say, there's somebody that cares for me. Let me say this to you. Somebody that cares for me. And Jesus said, wilt thou be made whole? He said, will I? Why do you think I'm here? Of course I'll be made whole. That's why I came here for. But there's no man to put me into the pool. I want you to notice something. Three things a fellow has to confess if he ever gets saved. Tell him this. Number one, first of all, he's got to have a desire to be held. The reason you can't help some people is because they don't have a desire to be held. The reason why you don't get anything when you come to church is because you didn't come to get anything. Because you didn't come with any expectancy and you didn't come with any purpose. You just came, that's all. You didn't come with any purpose. I was preaching with Dr. Rawlings one night in Cincinnati and I said that. A man was sitting back there writing. When I finished, he got up and came down the aisle and knelt at the altar. Dr. Rawlings knelt down beside and he said, you know something? When that preacher said, why did you come anyway? He said, I said, well, why did I come? Why did I come? You didn't come with any purpose. You know, I'd like someday to have a meeting. He said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. I'd like to have a meeting someday for just the hungry people and thirsty people. Have somebody stand at the door. Every fellow comes up and say, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? If not, this is not for you. This is just for hungry people and thirsty people. Did you come today saying, I'm going to get a blessing? Did you come for a blessing? If you do, you'll get blessed. I like to see people get blessed, don't you? Oh, you don't believe much in getting blessed anymore. When I was a boy, I lived back there in the country. Went to church in that little one-room country church, and I could see those old farmers come across the field with their lanterns and come in, and, and the old pot-bellied stove and the coal oil lights around the side of the wall, you know. That old country preacher would preach and then they'd get down on their knees and old brother Belcher would open the heavens, my friend, and begin to pray and the tears would begin to roll. And, and finally, he would it looked like he contacted heaven and then he'd let out a yell and out of there he'd come. And then Aunt Mary Compton would shout her bonnet off as she went up and down the aisle. And those were days when men and women were moving for God. Amen. You know what happened to us? We've let the devil respectability murder our spirituality. That's why. Lady said, I don't believe in making so much fuss about my religion. I said, if I didn't have any more new God, I wouldn't either. I'd keep still about it myself. You know, I like to see people get blessed, don't you? I like to get close to a fellow that's getting the blessing. When Brother Cup runs over, Brother Saucer gets some. That's what I'm telling you. Amen. The reason you didn't is because you didn't come to get blessed. Did you say, I will not let thee go unless thou dost bless me? Unless thou dost bless You know what? I started preaching 52 years ago. Dr. Rice started about the same time. And I started preaching 52 years ago. I said, Lord, don't ever let me lose my tears. Sam and I have gone up and down the country, and for years we were together and paid the price, too, I mean. When it wasn't popular. Sat up and rode a train all the way from Texas to West Virginia. Not enough money to buy a berth. Some of you young evangelists, you're saying, well, I don't know how I'm going to do it. i got to be home every other week. No, you don't have to. 
I've been gone for the last three months. He said, well, I'm going to tell you something. You just can't ride a jet all the time either, amen? He said, well, I've got to have two cars, one for my wife and one. No, you don't have to have no two cars. How am I going to travel? Greyhound bus. Amen. I rode a mule. You don't have to have no... And you don't have to be entertained in an air-conditioned room with a colored TV either, amen? You don't, oh, no, you want to begin where the man that's been at it 25 or 30 years is now. God will take care of it. Somebody told me, if you keep preaching like you do, you'll starve to death. I said, if I do, I told my wife to tell him I died of typhoid fever because I don't want him to reflect on him. I've always said he'd take care of me, Amen. <laughs> Second thing you got to confess is this. You confess the desire to be helped. That's why I'm here. You know why you don't get saved? It's because you didn't come to get saved last Sunday. You didn't come to get saved. That's the reason you won't get saved. You didn't come to get saved. You're not going to get saved accidentally. I believe when a man gets determined about it, he'll get saved. I went to church the night I got saved. I went as determined to get saved as anything I've ever done. And I like that word, S-A-V-E-D, saved. We've, have, we've changed it so much now. We used to talk about people getting saved, getting converted, getting religion. Then we've got to talk about addition. Yeah. Trusting Jesus Christ. That commitment word is a dodge from regeneration. Amen. Oh, I don't worry about that. I believe in getting saved. You know, I never went forward in a meeting but in my life till the night I got saved. Of course, I never was bad. I never was very bad. That's the reason I haven't, <laughs> I'm not much of an evangelist because I don't have a life story. Amen. I, I've never been in jail and never been drunk and got the same wife that I had and, and another thing. And, I came to the marriage altar as pure as expected my wife to, and, and the only thing that I, I would swear, really I cussed, is, <laughs> let me tell you something, when I got saved, I had to almost learn to talk, I'd lost so much of my vocabulary. I, I was driving four mules, hauling logs, when I got saved, I'm telling you, Next morning after I got saved, I could cuss a mule in more ways than you ever heard. And the next morning after I got saved, and I went out and climbed up on that wheel mule and picked up the lines to drive and spoke to him. And he looked over at old Barney and said, I wonder what's happened to him. <laughs> but you know, I got sick. I was staying in a little old shanty way back in the head of a holler. And I got sick and I had to go home. They were having a revival down to Forks of the Creek. And I got home and two days I was sick and I told my mother, I said, Mother, I believe I'll go up and get saved and make a Methodist bishop. And she said, I don't care what you make just so you get saved. Well, it's like Mr. Spurgeon when he got saved and baptized and told his old Anglican mother he had saved and joined the Baptist church and she said, Charles, I always wanted you to be a Christian but I never wanted you to be a Baptist. He said, well, Mother, God answered you in his usual way and gave you more than you asked him for. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yes, 
Let me tell you something. I went that night. When I went that night, that old mountain preacher, nephew of old Devil Lance Hatfield, the leader of the Hatfield and McCoy feud, he preached. He could preach too, Sam. He preached on the blood, and that night I, I could hardly wait, and I went over and knelt at that little old homemade pine bench. Nobody told me much how to be saved. He came down the aisle across on his back, a crown on his head, and said, what can I do for you? And I said, do for me that that I can't do for myself. No great demonstration that night, but there came a deep settled peace into my soul that'll stand the crush of woe. I walked out of that little room and over the little red clay hills and sang, Hallelujah, tis done, I believe on the sun, I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. The other thing he confessed, he confessed his inability to save himself. They said, there's no man to put me in the pool. You can't get in yourself. You can't save yourself by grace or you're saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the second thing he confessed, he confessed he was looking to the wrong source for help. He said, there is no man to put me in the pool. Listen, friends, there's as much saving power as these ten fingers and any pair of hands on God's earth. But I can take these, my friends, I can sprinkle you, I can pour you, I can baptize you three times face downward. I can write your name upon a church record, give you the communion, but I can't make a Christian out of you. They that are born again are born not of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Something that God does for you, it's not something you help God do for you. Something God does for you himself. And he saved me. Thank God I'm saved for eternity. And I'm, my image is graven in the palms of his hands. You know, I used to say, I used to say he's holding my name up before the Father. Well, that wouldn't be too good because there might be a lot of people but my name. But he's not. He's got my picture in his hand. And nobody looks like me. So he's holding my picture up before him. Amen. That'll make a Presbyterian shout. Let me tell you something. Whenever you see that, my friend, that he holds them up. Now, Jesus said, Arise. How can I? That's the call to faith. And take up your cot. Now, Jesus wanted this fellow. He said, Take up your cot. Cross the river. Burn the bridge behind you. Don't leave your old cotter sitting around because you're not going to need it anymore. Jesus wanted that fellow to know he was fixed up for keeps. He said, don't leave your cotter sitting around. Trouble with a lot of backslidden, no-count hypocrites now in the church is because when they got saved, they left their old cotter sitting around handy where they could take a few feeble steps and go back and lie down on it. When you get saved, take up your cot and then walk. Exercise your limbs. Yeah, that's the cost of your cure. You know, I think you ought to walk in the light as he is in the light. Amen? My religion's kind of like a bicycle. I keep, I keep pedaling or get off one or the other, you know. Christians are a good deal like a top when they're, when they're humming, they're standing erect. When they slow up, they wobble. When they stop, they fall over. That's the thing about it. Now, we'll just have time for just one or two things. This is it. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. Now, two things. First of all, he was made whole. Just, uh, just not improved, just not started on the road to recovery, but made whole. From the top of his head to the sole of his feet, he was made every whit whole. 
is a new creature in Christ Jesus. New creature. All things have passed away. So he has new friends, new ambitions, new desires, new outlooks. Amen? Oh, I can tell a Christian. Somebody asked me the other day if I could tell a hippie. I said, if the wind's right, I can. But anyway, but here's what I'm saying to you. You can tell a Christian. He was made whole. And then the second thing, he was made whole immediately. I believe in instant salvation. Zacchaeus went up a tree. And then Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. He came down so fast, the sycamore's been slick ever since. And when he hit the ground, stood up on his hind feet and said, if I've wronged any man, I'll restore him fourfold. Now, he was saved immediately. Somewhere between the limb and the ground, he got saved. Because he said, half of my goods will give to feed the poor. If I've wronged any man, I'll restore him fourfold. When you get a Jew to do that, something's happened to him. I'll tell you that now. Let me show you something, brother. That's the reason I know. That's the reason I know. I know that I was saved. I've had people come into my meeting and go as drunk and go out sober. I was preaching. Sam and I were in Port Norris, New Jersey, once in a meeting. Old Noah Newcomb came in. Had around his hat band, the Jesus saves. On his chest, he had a big heart. No, he had, uh, had on a, a big heart. He had painted on that, when the comforter has come. And I'd start, I, when I started to preach, he'd say, praise the Lord. And I could tell it was real. It had the ring of old Pied's bell. I could, it, it, was, it was real, my friend. Next morning, Sam and I asked about it, and they said he was one of the worst drunks in this city. Ran the worst low-down dive in this city. And he got saved. He used to stand on the street corner with a quart of rum in each hand on Saturday afternoon and beg men to drink. And I said, where does he live? And he said he lives in a little cottage five miles out of town. Out there he makes baskets. Sam and I got a car, went out. See him, you remember, went around the house and old Noah was sitting there on his shaving horse with his shaving knife shaving out the splints, had his hat, his cap turned around, the bill of it like that. I said, tell me about it, Noah. He said, I drank and drank until I poisoned my body and polluted my blood and my wife and two children left me. And he said one night in Bridgeton, New Jersey, they had knocked, they had beaten me up and put me in jail and the next morning the Salvation Army came in and a little Salvation Army lassie said, is there a poor man in here that would like to get out of the old life? And Noah said, I put up my hand. Said she got out on her knees and we had a prayer and then he said, it seemed like that something just put a big hand down in beside me with a sponge and just washed me out clean all on the inside. And Oh, Noah's got the shouting, and Sam and I kicked up the sawdust a little bit too, and we had a camp meeting out there. Oh, beloved, listen to me. When you know him, then you'll have days and joys of ecstasy, and the stars will shine bright, and you'll walk the Milky Way and turn somersaults in the Big Dipper, and, and you'll somehow find the glory of God poured in upon you in such a way until you can hardly contain yourself. And I walk with the Lord, hallelujah. I talk with the Lord, praise his name. No longer I roam, my soul faces home. I guess I better quit at that, amen. Well, if I never see you again, I'll see you. It's up to you, because I'm going, amen. The other day I backed my car out of the driveway and my wife came out and stuck her head in the 
car and told me goodbye. And as I backed out of the driveway, I leaned out and said, Honey, one of these days I'm going to back her out of here for the last time. I'll back her out for the last time. Do you ever watch a car go down the road at night? And you can see the tail lights and the tail lights and they get dimmer and dimmer and you go out of sight. And you say, well, it's gone. Well, that, he's departing. Paul said to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Well, I watched him yonder day goes out of sight. But boy, you think about that fellow that's sitting up there in the front seat of holding that steering wheel with those lights are shining out yonder in front. And when you watch me depart and I've said goodbye and gone, you think what I'll be seeing when I get inside the gates of gold. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.